Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You've heard AM. You've heard FM. Now, tune into DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on the show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back once again to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Yours truly, Eric Cavanaugh here. We're going to talk about a very interesting topic today about observability is the phrase that we use in the industry. Data downtime, why observability matters. We'll talk to several experts today. I'm very excited to have uh, some real pros on the show with you. As always, we'll hear from Martin Mashalin. He is of Soda.io. And we've got Gleb Mijonski from a company called Datafold and Oren Razon from a company called Superwise. And they're all experts in observability. So what does observability mean? mean in the industry. Basically, it means what you think it might, which is knowing where the data is right now, knowing are the pipelines moving forward properly? Are we getting the inputs that we're supposed to get? Are the algorithms running properly? Or are they doing what we expect them to do with the data? So all these guests know a thing or two about that. And uh, AI is just one use case for data. Of course, there are lots of other things we do with data, but AI has a very healthy appetite for data and uh, gets a bit finicky if the data it's using is not uh, the way, what it's supposed to be. And if you get bad algorithms uh, doing bad things with bad data, bad things are going to happen. So we want to really understand what is what are the systems doing? And if you think about these days with so many cloud-based solutions, I mean, we talk all the time about in the MarTech space alone, you got 8,000 vendors, software as a service, different vendors. And now you got all sorts of options for HR, for payment systems, for clickstream analysis, for marketing, for retail. There are all of these sources. And the more complex your environment gets, the more you need some kind of technology to allow you to see what's happening so that things don't get bad, so that things, when something happens that's bad, it doesn't get really terribly bad and, and blow the business up. So that's why we're talking to these folks today. And first, we'll start off with Martin Mashalin of Soda.io. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you folks are doing in the space of observability. Sure. Hi, Eric. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, by the way. Really? I'm Martin, one of, one of the co-founders of Soda. So we're a data observability company. We started in late uh, 2018, around Thanksgiving. And I personally have been in the data space for about 10 to 12 years now. So I get in a bit grayer by the day. Um, background in data discovery and data governance, uh, so also product company. And But at Soda, we work on uh, data reliability engineering uh, on the one hand and on data quality management on the other hand. Uh, so for data analytics engineers, it's really all about catching problems automatically uh, before they have an impact downstream. And more for the analyst or data product manager, it's really about allowing them to align and monitor kind of expectations on data as they put new data products in, into production. 
Yeah, sure. And a lot of times we use this analogy of data is the new oil. And of course, for those who uh, are familiar with the industry, I used to, to work with a, a couple of magazines in the energy space and oil has to be refined. And so you have these massive refineries that put the oil through all sorts of different processes and it heats up and you have all sorts of uh, systems along the way that trigger alerts and tell you if this isn't coming through, if that's clogged, if this is broken, et cetera, so the engineers can go out there and fix that stuff. And I think that analogy holds very well to uh, data in this context, right? That you have all this information coming in that's raw. You put filters on it. You take out certain bits, for example. You maybe run some calculations and you feed it into another system. Well, at the end of that pipeline, there's either a dashboard or some operational system that someone is using, and they're basing their decisions on the data that's coming in. So if, if there's something wrong, you're going to order a part when it, you shouldn't be doing that, or you're going to make some decision that is uh, simply not in line with what the business needs. And uh, the more complex the scenario, I think the more you need these kinds of technologies to kind of get a handle on things, right, Martin? Yeah. I think the hardest part in data is really kind of all of the hand, handover points. And there's many, as you said. Like we have the business teams, for example, generating data. And a certain part of the organization could be marketing sales anywhere, really. And then you have data engineers bringing that into an analytical system. And then we have analytics engineers building data transformations and getting it ready for a data product. I think all of data, all of these handover points make it really, really complicated. And because everyone might have different expectations or requirements as we move along that journey. And it's really at every point something can go wrong. Um, so that's why, yeah, that's why we kind of what we're seeing in the industry today is that um, there's a lot of effort put in place into kind of documenting what are what we really truly are expecting of data mm. and more alignment between all of the data, uh, between all of the stakeholders. We could, which could, by the way, be at the entire end of the like the other part of the organization all the way in maybe another business unit. But that cross-functional alignment is really key to get data right. That's a really good point. And you're reminding me that uh, that we're touching so many aspects of the organization here. We've talked for years about data governance. I would argue until, you know, 10 years ago, it was mostly policies in, in you know, sitting on a shelf somewhere that someone was supposed to follow. Well, now we're much further down the road in terms of being able to do even very dynamic access to information systems based on roles, based on uh, policies and so forth. That's very prominent these days. You see a lot of good stuff happening and it's partly because of regulations like GDPR, like CCPA, you know, that pressure comes from various sources, customers, competition, but also the government. And I think all these forces are coalescing right now to really make us pay more attention to data observability, uh, understanding the pipelines, understanding who's using what, it, uh, it it really completes the picture in terms of understanding what we're trying to do and whether or not that's actually happening, right? Right. No, I think um, where what we used to see maybe, let's say, five or even 10 years ago in financial services, where a lot of, uh, a lot of the complica- or first complications with data really started, is that the data management was really all about um, um, compliance, regulation, control, really. Um, it was a very defensive uh, type of right. uh, effort. Um, and what we're seeing now with data is becoming much more a key to getting a competitive advantage. So we see um, a push towards 
or offensive use um, of data. I'd, I'd like to call it like data product era, uh, <laughs> as opposed to kind of the regulatory compliance era. Yeah. Um, but the nice thing is that we, um, in a way, we've one of the nice things, of course, is like nobody likes governance, uh, so we're we're kind of doing less <laughs> of it in a formal way, but we still are doing it, um, just in a different way. Um, and I think um, it's the different like, the learnings that we've taken from the past is that. Um, governance by slides or policies, that doesn't work. We want <laughs> governance to be you know, more embedded or implemented, or even kind of by design in the things that we build. And I think that's a very nice shift uh, that we're going through. Um, and a lot of engineering kind of minds have also come into the world of data, um, which have made our lives much better. Um, there are... Um, these concepts of, for example, um, computational governance and data mesh. We might, uh, first of all, it's kind of a brain twist. Okay, what, what does that mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it, it is a very interesting kind of um, move that we're seeing towards, um, you know, really embedding these things like policies or controls into the data flow, into the data products. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like, for example, testing or checking or validating data, um, or data access management is all being kind of the, uh, maintained as code today, um, which is much better than what we had before. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you you spoke to a lot of the major transformations that are happening in our industry. It's very exciting. I mean, the cloud is another factor, I would say. We we kind of touched on that just because there are so many different sources. We'll stick around for the roundtable, uh, Martin. Next up, we have Oren Razon from a company. I love this name, superwise.ai. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you're enabling observability in this deluge of data. Yeah, cool. So, again, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm Oren, uh, founder and uh, CEO of Superwise. So, a little bit of background about myself. I'm a machine learning practitioner in the last 17 years. Actually. I was one of the founding members of Intel Competitive Center around those topics. And oh, after wow. like like 17 years ago, we were calling it uh, data mining. You know, like same thing, different name, but uh, uh, that's what we were doing 17 years ago. And like after establishing the entire infrastructure at Intel for machine learning, I went outside at my own data sciences service company, helping great companies like AT&T, Plant Materials, Sciences, Gong, you name it to build their own machine learning infrastructures. And, you know, after, like, I had a few very interesting observations as a practitioner throughout the years. One observation was that everybody really started to do machine learning again. And that's based on the fact that everybody started to collect data and uh, much better data to leverage and to start to apply machine learning on top of it. But, yeah, you see that everybody really started to embed machine learning as part of their core business operation. And while we had a lot of progress in the ability to develop the algorithms and even to take them into production, I saw the the huge gap between the operational teams and the technology teams that now need to, you know, to start and use the machine learning algorithms. And when actually when the rubber hit the road, when they actually need to start and return the ROI that they were intended to, and then uh, actually companies are not well equipped with the right tools to make sure that the algorithm is doing what is intended to do. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly why I've decided to found Supervise to bridge that gap. And that's uh, throughout what we are calling modern observability. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff. And uh, I, I see time and time again, innovative companies that come out in the data space have founders who, guess what, were practitioners and they were out there in the real world trying to hack this stuff out. 
and you hit these bottlenecks or you have these recurring problems and you ask yourself, all right, what's going on? Why is this breaking? Why aren't things working the way they're supposed to be? And we were joking in, in the pre-show here, just chatting around amongst us here about how there are so many forces. There's so much cool stuff happening. And for the enterprise, of course, there's going to be this wide spectrum of legacy systems and legacy mindsets, legacy ways of doing things. And I think that's one reason why you see these cloud-born vendors are really at the cutting edge because they don't have the legacy infrastructure. They can just dive right in and do cool stuff, right? And do the right stuff. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that maybe as a practitioner, and you know, the opportunity to, to understand is that sometimes when you're talking with people that are not like practitioner and not fully understand how algorithms works, they think that algorithms as their own, I don't know, kind of uh, uh, intelligence or right. something that you know how to do stuff. And they don't understand that actually in order to ensure that the algorithm is doing what is expected to do, it's all about data monitoring. Because eventually uh, the algorithm is, is only good as the data that is used to, to work on. So if something is changing in the data or if something in the quality of the data that is using it is bad, it's garbage in, garbage out. And, and basically the trouble is that you will discover it only after you will see that the predictions are actually wrong and the business is being impacted. And in the world of, in the variety of use cases that we see among our customers, actually there's so many things that could go wrong. For example, the classical one is COVID. COVID is what we call in the industry like the classical concept brief, which means that the data start to behave differently. People start to behave in different patterns, which means everything in your data will start to behave differently. So that's a classical type of issues that you could uh, uh, face with. Another one is internal changes. Somebody broke something in the ETL processes. So now you're starting to get a lot more null values or missing values in one of your key features. So for one end, there are so many things that could go wrong. And on the other end, machine learning is all about utilizing so many different sources of data and so many different data points that, you know, on a statistical perspective, it's just a matter of time that something will break. And I think one of the key challenges that we see among our uh, customers is how to detect those stuff before it's too late. And not only that, how to reduce the noise, because eventually if you have thousands of different data points, uh, you will always find some kind of anomalous behavior. But combining your, our ability to do that observability and to understand the changes in the data and combining with the knowledge about what's actually impacting the model then we could actually reduce the noise and making sure that we are only, you know, alerting on stuff that will really impact the business process that is being driven through the algorithm. That's right. Well, and you, you brought up an excellent point there a couple of times with this concept of noise and what these information systems are designed to do, especially in analytics, is separate signal from noise. What is the signal? What do I under, What do I want to understand here? Let's say it's just the behavior of these different systems. What's the noise? You have to be able to kind of sort through all that in your models that you're building. And of course, that's when you look for things like covariance. You look like you look for things like predictive capabilities. But to your point, if the data coming in is not accurate or has drifted in some way, shape, or form, and human behavior is one way that, that data changes, right? Because COVID came and human behavior changed dramatically. So a lot of algorithms kind of went out the window. And to your point, you have to constantly monitor that stuff to see is the right data coming in or the right outcomes coming out the other side? And if not, 
how do we address that? And to your point, the earlier in the process you can figure that out, the better you're going to be, right? Exactly. And by the way, like COVID maybe is uh, such a big global macro example that everybody could think, okay, so it's easy to know about it. But one thing that we see all across our customers and industry is that those things constantly happen on a, you know, subpopulation level, maybe on a specific code or maybe for a specific customer of yours, there is some kind of change in behavior that reflect the data distribution that impact the statistical profiling of your data. Or mm-hmm. do you might have, have some kind of an issue with one of your APIs from a specific source. So actually all of those cases that go into specific you know, subpopulation that are not on the global macro level usually go under the radar and those are really hard to catch, especially in the very noisy environment that we are talking about. That's a very good point. Uh, it's a very good point. And you know, I think about uh, we're, we're using these tools to understand the real world around us, right? That's the whole point is you want to understand, okay, what's happening in this market, what's happening in this geolocation, what's happening in my stores, whatever the case may be. We're trying to understand the reality on the ground. And to your point, now there are so many sources. I mean, it's almost like an embarrassment of riches, the number of different sources you could be using to understand what's happening and depending upon the organization, um, it can make a huge difference. If it, What I think is fascinating is that we've kind of moved out of this traditional data warehousing world of, let's say, 20 years ago, where we were really just focused on a handful of, of data elements, very transactional stuff. How many widgets did we sell today? What was the profit, mar- you know, profit margin? How much did this stuff cost us? Those are all very important core business type things out of ERP systems. But now we can be pulling data from countless other systems, from government systems, from traffic systems. I mean, any number of systems can provide really interesting data to help you better understand your market, your opportunity, which products are selling, which products aren't selling. And to your point, the more complex that environment gets, the harder it's going to be to know what's causing trouble. And the other side is you never really know. I mean, you can know certain things, like when a a, a database stops working. Okay, I know that that happened. But otherwise, it's really a lot of guesses that you do, and they kind of aggregate up to big decisions that are made to change the business. And if you got bad data going into that whole process, or no data, or the wrong data, that's when things are going to get real sticky. But don't touch that dot, folks. We'll be right back. You're listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio. We're talking all things observability in the data world today. So knowing where that data is, is that data going to arrive on time? Pretty important stuff if your entire business relies on data. And let's face it, we're in the information economy. So data is more important than ever. And getting the correct data at the correct time. Uh, in the correct fashion is pretty important stuff. So we've already heard from a couple of guests. We've been talking uh, to several companies in this space doing different things, slightly different, but all with the same mission, basically of improving the quality of data, the deliverability of data, making sure the trains run on time, so to speak. We heard from uh, Martin Mashalin of Soda.io, Oren Razon of a company called Supervise. And next up, we have Gleb Majanski of Datafold. So Gleb, tell us a bit about yourself and your company and how you're solving the data provisioning problem. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Eric. Uh, so I'm Gleb, CEO and co-founder of Datafold. 
Data Fold automates data quality testing for data engineers and analytics engineers. Before starting Data Fold, which is now about two years old, um, I was in the field of data engineering and uh, built data platforms for companies, including Autodesk and Lyft, where I was one mm. of the first data hires. And it's also at Lyft where I got to experience problems related to ensuring data quality and observability firsthand, uh, probably most vividly when I um, accidentally blew up Lyft's analytical data warehouse by making a small hotfix, uh, changing wow. about four lines of SQL. And um, although everything looks good on the surface, next day I ended up corrupting hundreds of tables and uh, basically halting all the data operations, machine learning training, and uh, was oh, a no. huge mess to clean up. And, uh, you know, that, that particular episode got me uh, and the company, obviously, thinking about uh, data observability in the very kind of proactive and preventative aspect. I think um, today when we speak about data observability, we can obviously talk a lot about how can we detect things that are broken or when data is, let's say, of low quality or not there or late. But I think it's also important to address the proactive aspect of it. Basically, data is created by some sort of software, right? Is you know, That can be SQL scripts, Python, Python, um, but essentially, we're talking about software that produces or transforms data. And therefore, most issues with that data, when we speak about data quality, are originating from bugs in the software that processes data. Mm-hmm. And so an interesting angle to look at ensuring data quality is to treat that problem as we treat the software quality. And in software, um, you know, the problem of quality has been studied for decades now and the i would say one of the most exciting and vivid trends right now is what's called shift left testing the Mm -hmm. idea is that in software systems that are very impactful to business which again the parallel that you also mentioned eric right the more we use data in the organization the more sources we aggregate the more users that it has the more business starts you know relying on it the more we need to focus on the prevention right and so in software the concept of shift left testing has been rapidly emerging. What does it mean? Essentially, if you consider the development lifecycle of a software application or data application, it starts with business requirements. So someone asking, let's say, a data engineer or an engineer to build a new table, or maybe to change a definition. And then the data engineer goes in and um, makes the certain changes. And then they push the code to the code repository. Then they push it to staging and then to production. So Shifting lab means that we focus from trying to detect breakages in production after things happened. And a lot of the times that means that damage has already been done. So people right. look at broken dashboards or even worse, looked at incorrect numbers or machine learning was trained on um, skewed data. And we try to shift the focus lab, the detection lab, so that can we detect these problems as early as possible in developer lifecycle, can we detect these problems in a staging environment before data is promoted to production? Or even better, can we detect it even um, before, right at the point where data engineer is actually working on certain modifications? Mm-hmm. And this is the angle that Datafold focuses on. So our product called DataDiff is um, integrating deeply in the developer 
a workflow and plugs in in the CI, CD systems and code repositories in a way which allows data engineers to fully understand the impact of changes that they're about to make to data pipelines. So basically answering the question of how changes to a data processing code, let's say SQL, is going to impact um, the data produced, both, let's say, the table that the data engineer tries to modify, but also understand the impact on the downstream data consumers and use cases, all the way to business intelligence tools, dashboards, and machine learning models. Hmm. And having that visibility enables data engineers to catch a lot of issues that otherwise would go unnoticed. And those not necessarily actually have to be data bugs, like basically clear broken data. Those can also be changes in contracts. So Martin also mentioned the problem of data handovers and aligning the stakeholders Hmm. around data usage. So in a way, having visibility into the impact that a given change is going to break is going to make also enables the data team to loop in stakeholders early on in the process to make sure that they are aligned and on the same page before the change is made, right? Because maybe if someone expects revenue to include one-off deals and someone else doesn't, right? It's it's very important that before we change the definition, everyone is on the same page and aligned. Right. Yeah, that's that's a really good point too. And, and I'm thinking to myself in the in the consumer well, even the small business world or even big businesses use these technologies. But just in my own workspace, I've been doing email marketing for 21 years now. And uh, a lot of those tools have gotten a lot better. And there's the little option you get when you're loading data where it just shows you some of the data. It gives you a sample of the data that's in there. So you can see first name, last name, et cetera. You can see missing deals, things of that nature. And this is kind of what you're talking about at a much larger scale, right? Is that you have all these sources of data coming in and and I'm guessing what your software can do is notice, notice differences, notice changes in patterns of the data. Maybe there are six fields instead of nine, which they're supposed to be, or maybe the fields change place or things of that nature. And you're going to detect that and then be able to, this is what kind of fascinates me, is you can then go downstream and see how that's going to affect the reporting solutions, the production systems, whatever the case may be. That's impact analysis, which is really, really important to be able to know, all right, if I pull this wire out, what's going to happen down there? And this is, it's not super new. It's been around for a while, but at this level of proficiency, I think it's pretty innovative, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say the the ability to see through the dependencies in the Mm -hmm. modern data pipelines, the other term for this is uh, data lineage, Mm -hmm. um, I think is a really fundamental piece to data observability. And I think that, um, you know, in a world where an average data savvy company has thousands of tables with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of columns in the analytical warehouse, having an automated way to see through those dependencies is absolutely essential. So um, that's why we also invested in building out this uh, field level lineage capabilities as part of the product, because that then enables preventative impact analysis at the time um, where it's most effective to catch those issues, which is basically pre-production. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'll bring uh, Martin back in to kind of comment on all that, because you had uh, you had mentioned some of these issues uh, in your segment, Martin, and it's the kind of thing where you, you want the senior level people in a company to understand and appreciate 
the value of these technologies. And you, you want some war stories to explain to them, look, here's what happened when we didn't know what was going on and look at the end result there. I think once people understand, number one, the criticality of these data pipelines, but then number two, what you can know about them and when you can know something about them, that's when the awareness gets there and you can you can make a sale, hopefully, or uh, or get in there and show them what's possible. Right, Martin? Yes, I think the kind of the business case for technologies is, especially in data management, has never been extremely straightforward or easy. Um, hmm. I think a lot of people know, well, yes, we need to invest in investing in technology to, to be better with data. Um, but how that actually translates into tangible either increase of revenue or reduction of cost or mitigation of risk has traditionally been uh, quite difficult. I think it's especially kind of in that previous age of governance and, and compliance. But I think today we are, we are seeing a lot more of these customer-facing uh, data products. And I think there you definitely see um, or you can measure the impact uh, much faster. And to your point, that helps us prioritize because not all data is equal and not mm-hmm. all data needs to be perfect. Like mm-hmm. It is totally fine to have some data that's there that's, just right enough for this one purpose. And maybe as the company grows and as we build more things with data, that then you start having a conversation uh, with the data owner and say, hey, well, I'm building this brand new thing. Um, but for in order for that to work, I need data to be refreshed faster, for example, or I need um, more standardized values in certain columns, or I need accuracy or completeness of data or all of these requirements that you might have um, might need to improve. And then it becomes really critical to have that business case, because if you don't, how are you going to convince somebody else on the other side of the organization to actually go and improve data and go and fix issues when they happen? So I think, yeah, the value or the business value and the the use cases and how you kind of position that. Um, uh, to more senior stakeholders in the organization is incredibly important. Uh, yeah. Not a skill that I think is very common commonplace today. <laughs> That's a good point. Oren uh, Razon, I'll bring you back in from Superwise. You know, Martin just made such a fantastic point, which I think about all the time, which is how to prioritize. You know, we're living in this world of seemingly endless opportunities and seemingly endless challenges in just about every industry any way you slice it, there are all these ways you can do things, which is a blessing and a curse. You have to know where to prioritize. And that goes from the top all the way down throughout the organization. And that's where this data comes in really, really handy, because the more you understand the data you're using, the better you're able to know what you need to do to either fix it or change some process or do something differently such that the outcomes improve. Right, Oren? Totally agree. And by the way, I also... Uh totally relate to what Martin said regarding the fact that to show value in data observability or model observability is always a bit tough. And an analogy that I always like to talk about, which I see that is quite relevant to how we sell our product, is a bit like selling an antivirus. Like in order to sell an antivirus, you first need somebody to have virus. You need him to experience what does it mean don't have an observability in place. Like, and only after you experience one time that this 
stuff could actually happen and the enormous impact that it could uh, uh, create into the company, then he will run uh, to us in open end saying, I totally understand the importance of having <laughs> and having an antivirus in place to make sure that it won't happen. But sometimes, usually we see that as an afterthought again. People are not like, it's a bit out for them to imagine from the first place that, okay, so I've just finished to develop. As you said, there are so many stuff that they want to do, so many things that they want to develop. So, okay, I finished to develop my ETL processes, or I finished to develop my algorithm on top of my data warehouse. That's it. Let, let's move on. And people tend to, over, to, to, to put the observability, the monitoring, the maintenance aspects of it as an afterthought. And only after experience one time, you know, what it means if you don't know what's going on, then uh, you really understand that the, the depth and the importance of having full observability in place and also having the right observability that will reduce all the unnecessary noise. So eventually you won't have an antivirus that is yelling all day that you have like uh, <laughs> dozens of different viruses, but is actually one that know how to indicate whenever it's really an important one that you really need to treat uh, quite carefully. So yeah, I totally agree with Martin. And I think that's part of our challenges, I think, as a panel here to, to do market education around it and really to help the industry to understand the importance of it. Yeah, that's a really, that's a bunch of good points that you made there. And I keep thinking to myself about, you know, again, how do you stay on top of things, right? That's what business is all about, right? Is executing effectively, staying on top of the situation, knowing what you're trying to accomplish, knowing where the money's coming from. All these issues are, are what a business runs on. And the more observability you have into the information systems that are fueling your enterprise, the better off you're going to be. And uh, and like I said, I think the prioritization is is really important. I think we're, we're probably seeing some changing up of roles too in organizations, right? As we go more to the cloud, to, you know, technically you're not going to need as many on-prem IT focused professionals, but you still do need those folks. And a lot of those folks, I think, are now sort of shifting their attention to understand what the cloud provides. And I'll give a teaser to uh, a question for our next segment coming up. I'm curious to know if uh, if the cloud is making all of this a little bit easier just because it's so API driven and that's the new standard way of pulling data and understanding where data is coming from versus the on-prem world, which had all these different uh, technologies in your own data center. But I would almost argue it in certain uh, a certain sense, it was harder to manage all that. But we'll pick that up after the break, folks. Don't touch that bell. You're listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Kavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio. We're talking all things data observability today with a fantastic panel of experts. Uh, and I want to dive into uh, a couple of interesting questions. One, we got a great question from an audience member all about observability and can it be used to ascertain if data is being used ethically? It's a very interesting question. We'll get to that in a minute. And I do want to talk about cloud versus on-prem and are things a bit easier in cloud just because so much of the data movement is by API, which can be managed. It's a, it's a choke point, a control point uh, versus the on-prem world, which, uh, yes, it was your data center. Technically, you're in charge of everything, but I almost think things were more complex back then. But let's go around the room and see what our guests think. Martin, I'll throw it over to you first from Soda.io. Is the cloud easier for data management or uh, or not? 
<laughs> yes, uh, yes, most definitely. I think uh, I've um, <clears throat> unfortunately lived through some of the uh, the area before, uh, or sorry, the era before. Sure. Um, I think there's a couple of simple reasons, really. There's, on the one hand, a lot more people in the ecosystem. There's a lot more engineering influence in the ecosystem. There's a lot fewer key players in the ecosystem as well that provides uh, data, um, management, storage, infrastructure, all of these services. And it's all online. It's all available. So, you know, you're not behind firewalls that are that you cannot access or, right. <laughs> you know, there's there's so many things that are uh, that are better. And you mentioned APIs as well. I think the great thing with APIs is that APIs, in a way, they're, they're contracts, right? So they're backward, like they're compatible. So there's right. a certain service level associated with that. Um, right. We can rely on it. And I think that's also a great change. Uh, the previous era was really the, you know, we were trying stuff out with data, but let's not really do it in production because, or it, like for a very critical thing. And that was hard to do because we weren't really mature with our uh, practices. And I think that's also changing quite a bit. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Oren Razone from Superwise, what do you think? Easier now that, that the cloud is prevalent? Yes, I totally agree. I think the answer is clearly yes. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I think... Uh, and that's it? No, uh, actually, so... Yeah, it's yes, because I think... Similarly to what we saw in the software ecosystem that everybody moved from like monolithics environments to microservice environment. So right. even in the new data area, you have so many different data sources. You're not necessarily talking about a, you know, a very simple, like one data, data warehouse and one application that use it. You have so many different applications, so many different components, so many different data sources. So the importance of being able to build stacks, stacks that could combined together could be integrated in a very standard way between them is so, so important in such distributed environments. So I think cloud really is a big contributor to the fact that there are becoming a lot more standards regarding APIs, regarding mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, SDK uh, interfaces. So different solutions could integrate it together and being able, you know, to create together a distributed environment that is still manageable uh, in a very easy way and not require you to have a very monolithic or very, you know, a, a big infrastructure that rely on one database or one application. Right. So that's a very important piece in it. That's, yeah, that, that's such a good point too. And, and Gleb uh, Majanski, I'll bring you back in. From Datafold, I'm guessing you'll agree on this topic that uh, it's it's getting a bit easier up in the cloud. And also, Oren did a good job of kind of articulating why that is. And it's partly because, you know, through the, the standard protocols of the Internet, we've all learned to kind of get along and, and, uh, and, and share data across different systems. Whereas the on-prem world was this walled garden of, of remarkable complexity, especially if it had been around for 40 years. Then you're really looking at just a complete you know, the, the everything from the Byzantine processes of 40 years ago to the most cutting edge machine learning and AI available today, that's a pretty difficult environment to manage, right? So I think that, that we're going to start winding down some of that complexity. And I'm guessing that data observability can kind of play into all that and can, can play into 
the transformation to help companies figure out how to re-architect their business processes in the cloud to better understand how they can solve some of these challenges as they slowly move away. Because I don't think data centers are going away, but they are going to be changing in terms of their focus and their, their priorities and what they do. But what do you think about all that, Cliff? Yeah, I'll definitely agree with uh, Martin and uh, Oren on that. Well, cloud is a great thing that happens to data. Um, but I think at the same time, it, it did solve a lot of complexity, existing complexity, and allowed companies to move to more higher value add activities. So you don't need a team of 20, 30 engineers just running your cluster. You can now go straight to building data pipelines and putting your data to work. But I think it actually created a new kind of complexity because now it is so easy to integrate all your data and to pipe all the different sources into your cloud warehouse and so easy to create lots of transformations on top and so easy to have hundreds of people running queries on top of that, that we are now having a different set of problems related to how can we actually manage this complexity? Whereas in the on-prem days, because it was actually so hard to use it, people didn't create that much data. And so... The idea That's that some kind of data governance team was, was able to figure out the data quality for this organization was real. But now we understand that this uh, is a completely new reality that we have to deal with. So what do we do where, you know, some of our customers have uh, millions of people in their cloud warehouse and over a billion columns. And frankly speaking, I thought that this is not possible or feasible to have, but apparently these are the realities of modern cloud warehouses. So yeah, absolutely. That creates a lot of problems, but those are good problems that actually means that data is very, you know, utilized orders of magnitude more um, effectively and at higher velocity. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe um, Martin, I'll throw this one over to you. And uh, for the podcast bonus segment, I think we'll go into this ethics question, a great question for, from our, of our attendees here today. But uh, Martin, what do you think about observability playing into the ability to transform your organization and transform your business processes. Because again, back in the day, we knew a lot. I mean, I think back to 20 years ago, all of the troubleshooting technologies that we would have. There's a company called Precise that got bought by Idera. And I remember interviewing this guy 14 years ago, uh, fascinating, Zohar Gilad was his name. And we were talking all about observability back in those days when, you know, okay, the CPU usage went up. And the the, the uh, you know, maybe a hard drive crashed or whatever. That's the real basic stuff. Now we're we're miles past all that. Do you think that these gains we're making in observability can play a real meaningful role in helping companies better understand their information technology stacks and then redesign it for the new world? Because it really does have to be redesigned, especially for companies who've been around for a while. What do you think, Martin? Oh, you're, you're on mute. Apologies, sir. Yeah, I think it can definitely help in that transformation. I think what one of the key uh, values observability in the end delivers is that you, on the one hand, are much more aware about the problems that you have. Um, and some of that comes from a lot of automated systems that tell you what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing is that you're collecting and aggregating a lot of more, a lot more inf metadata, really type of data about the health of your systems. And that is about all the layers in the stack. Mm -hmm. That helps you kind of figure out uh, the root cause, helps you, you reduce your mean time to resolve an issue, um, which are all great things. And the more visibility you get into every part of your stack, the more the easier it becomes also to uh, 
replace things, uh, so mm-hmm. make it more pluggable. So I think definitely it, it 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 helps there. I think we're today or even pre the existings of some of the platforms now that are popular in the observability space for data. It was there was no really a single pane of view on uh, on that. Uh, so um, that's I think helping organizations tremendously and really understanding what's going on, um, but also to, in becoming much more proactive. Um, mm. I'm cognizant that that, of course, didn't tackle the ethics question. I have a couple of points on that too, but maybe that's for later. Yeah, we'll we'll do that in the podcast bonus segment. And I think you really hit the nail on the head right there, uh, Martin. Maybe I'll throw it over to our, um, Oren for just for a quick comment in our last minute here of the live show. And that is getting ahead of of things, staying on top of things, not getting behind the eight ball, as we say. Because when you're in reactive mode, it's a very different mindset. It's a very different world. Uh, and it's a very unpleasant place to be, quite frankly, when you're ahead of the game, when you, you've already kind of tackled your, done your main blocking and tackling, and you can focus on new business models or new products and services. That's when morale is high and you're really getting things done. Real quick, Oren, what do you think? It's super important, especially, by the way, in our domain, where machine learning is all about prediction, predicting stuff. So right. whenever data behave in an abnormal way, Actually, the impact will be seen only once you see the prediction is wrong, which could take weeks, months, or even more. So being able to detect stuff in advance, being able to be on top of things as they happen, and not only reacting to stuff as you start to see business impact is super important. Yeah. Well, folks, we have a podcast bonus segment coming up next for our local audience here. And uh, if you want to be on these shows and be part of the recording, send me an email, info at dmradio.com. Biz podcast bonus coming up next. You're listening to DM Radio. Okay, folks, time for our podcast bonus segment here on DM Radio. We had a great question come up during the show from one of our attendees in the in the uh, Zoom here, and they wanted to know: Could observability help in data ethics and understanding? Is data being used ethically? I think it's a very very interesting question. And short answer is: I think yes in conjunction with people, almost like with a data catalog, where you work with uh, people in your organization to define certain terms and systems and what are we doing here? I know with GDPR, you're supposed to be able to say why you captured the data and what you plan to do with it in some meaningful way. But let's go around the room and talk about that for a minute. Martin, what do you think? I think a large part of that is really cultural. Um, I think sometimes you see ways in which data is used that you kind of are a bit cringeworthy, I would say. Um, <laughs> Where it's kind of, you know, it's more used to tell the story, for example, that the person was already intending to tell or to, uh, so not really kind of in a, not necessarily thinking critically, I would say, uh, and let, really using data as, a, as kind of the guidance or guideline or assistance for uh, for the decision making. So I think they're culturally and ethically, I think they're, you know, that's one area. But there's, of course, things about people pro- uh, it can observability can of course help um, as like more of the people process and system. Uh, there's definitely ways to make sure, for example, that um, you track or find people that are not supposed to access certain data, for example, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, to Gleb's point from earlier that you're kind of protecting, for example, uh, your your personal information. I think there's definitely ways of automating helping there. Um, but again, I think a lot like around this is is organizational cu- culture. That's a very good point. And I think you're right. So it's a combination. 
it, it always helps to see what's going on, right? Like visibility is almost always going to help. I can't imagine when visibility wouldn't help unless maybe it just scared you to daylights and, and, and you just ran away from the job. So I guess sometimes knowing too much can be a problem. But uh, Oren, Rosone, I'll throw it over to you. How can uh, this observability, together with people working and, and trying to understand what is being done with the data, how can it help us be more ethical with our information assets? That's a great question, especially when we are talking about the usage and the use cases of artificial intelligence and machine right. learning, because as you probably know, it's not only how it could help to do that, but when we talk about AI, machine learning, observability, doing ethics, it's part of it, because as you, uh, everybody probably knows, there's a lot of regulations starting to kick in around ethics of AI and machine learning. If I'm a company using a, a machine learning and artificial intelligence to decide whether to reject or to approve a loan request to specific people, I need to be able to explain it. I need to be able to monitor that. I need to be able to uh, uh, ensure that biases are not uh, happening because of gender, because of race, because of other uh, uh, elements in the process. And again, as we talked in the beginning, everything around the algorithms is actually around the data that drive the algorithms. So whenever we're talking about ethics in AI, which is already started to be a regulated environment, we're talking about being able to observe the, the data, being able to observe that such things don't, don't happen. So that come end in end with uh, when we're talking about AI observability. Wow, good point. And uh, Gleb Majanski from Datafold, last but not least, uh, what are your thoughts on observability really facilitating in the world of better understanding how to ethically work with data? Yeah, so I would absolutely agree here with Martin that um, it starts with the mandate within the organization to actually use data ethically. And um, let's say once that mandate is there and the, comp the company actually formalized what it means for their given context to use data ethically, and what are the lines that needs to be you know, um, observed? For example, that um, the personal identifiable information of the users is not freely available for anyone to query, a very simple example, right? Because that is a very common problem in the analytical world because once um, PII leaks to a data warehouse, it just spreads um, through throughout the old pipelines and it becomes extremely hard to, right. um, to guard that information. And That's so true. to that extent, data observability can help enforce these policies and practices. For example, you know, through column level lineage, um, it is very easy or much easier than manually to track, um, for example, personal identifiable information. Um, there are also tools that help identify personal identifiable information in the warehouse automatically, right? Because that may not be necessarily apparent even um, to a human looking at this, because for example, there are problems like you may have um, columns that a person would not deem as PII, but a combination of those columns actually become uh, an identifier for a human being, right? So those problems definitely can be well solved with um, observability, but it all comes down to having the policies and processes first and then using the right tools to enforce it. 
Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Well, folks, we've uh, gone all around the horn here with our guests today. Look these guys all up online. We've been talking to Gleb Majanski from Datafold, Martin Mashalin from Soda.io, and Oren Razon from Superwise. Three very cool companies right at the cutting edge of information as a valuable resource. And if you want to be in the show, send me an email, info at dmradio.biz. This does conclude our show. Thanks so much. You've been listening to DM Radio.